0: You're listening to Just One of the Guys. A show that's all about awkwardness. And not just because the host's general nerdiness. <laughs> Bending episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. This is an internet radio show dedicated to bringing you coverage of the Green Lantern comics from cover date June 1990 until cover date November 2004, with a special emphasis on the characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner, two of the greatest comic book characters out there that seem to have a lot of problem with the women. With Kyle, for instance, in this issue, not only is he dealing with the repercussions of his breakup with Donna Troy... He's also dealing with Wonder Woman, who, for some reason, he seems to be having a fight with. A knockdown dragout fight. With spanking. Well, maybe not spanking. that's just me wanting to have some of that issue. But uh, they do have a fight, and it's kind of odd, because you wouldn't think that heroes would be fighting. I mean, this isn't a Marvel book, but eh, whatever, it's on the cover, and Wonder Woman's there, finally in her not-downtown-Julie-Brown outfit. So. That makes it entirely awesome. However, Guy Gardner is also having some female problems as well. In a little different aspect. Rather than having to deal with females, he's dealing with being a female. Yes, you heard me right. Guy Gardner is a woman. Yep, you heard me right. Tattoos and all. Big boobs and all. Guy Gardner wakes up one morning and and discovers that... For some reason he's been transformed into a rather curvaceous female. Of course, he's still got the red hair, so there is that. Of course, we don't know whether this is a part of his new weird alien DNA or whether this is some mystical thing, but we'll find out in the book. Plus, I've got a few more emails from some great listeners to get to, so I'm going to go ahead and do that. Of course, right after I play a couple of promos for some great podcasts, which I'm required to being that I'm a part of the new Two True Freaks network of podcasts. Listen to it over at 2 But after the promos, we'll be getting into letters and Green Lantern number
1: 73. <laughs>
0: Hello ladies. Listen to your man. Now listen to me. Now listen to your man. Now listen to me. Sadly, he isn't me, but if he stopped downloading lame-ass podcasts and switched to two true freaks, he could learn to sound like me. Look down. Back up. Where are you? You're on the Enterprise with the man your man could sound like.
2: What's in your hand? Back at me. I have it. It's a long box filled with comics that you love. Look again. The comics are now episodes. Anything is possible when your man listens to two true freaks and not lame masses. I'm on a tauntaun. Throughout its history, people have found this place disquieting. Strange and unexplained phenomena run rampant, so much so that it's been called the city that lives by night. And the city that lives by night needs a darker form of protector. Black Talon.
0: Please don't kill me! You tell them all. Nocturne is the talent hunting ground. Your kind had best look elsewhere for prey.
2: Nightbreaker.
0: What was this? Some sort of joke? No! Gloria, this sounds crazy, I know, but she did shoot me. Something happened. I'm still not sure what, but people don't recognize unless I truly concentrate on their wanting to see me. It's like I'm invisible.
2: Fairyman, the ghosts you refer to have done more for me than you two have. They've given me my sight back. <laughs> They've given me better than my sight back. Dreamcatcher. catcher. Witches, warlocks, mages, magicians, shamans. Call us what you like. It's all the same. We've helped when we can. Eluded those too ignorant to understand that magic isn't evil. And it's made us sensitive to others who have magic running in their veins. A quartet of heroes standing together must face a new menace.
0: This can be painless, you know.
2: You ain't putting the fronters on me, slag. Just take your shot, yeah?
0: I was hoping you'd say that.
2: Who is going to use the roughest elements of the city?
0: You that rose red bitch? That's right. I'm not even mad at you for adding the bitch part. Cause I am. And I know you guys are some of the nastiest, toughest, roughest, meanest bastards in this town. Am I right? Yeah! Good. Because I
2: have need of you. To send this city.
1: Come on! This end tonight.
2: Down New Roads to Hell. New Roads to Hell, the first Shadow Legion adventure by Thomas D.J., a new novel coming soon from Airship 27. For more information, including character sketches and behind-the-scenes information, visit the Nocturne Travel Agency at welcometonocturne.blogspot.com and airship27.com.
0: And we're back. And what you just heard there was a new promo. A promo for a good friend of mine, Mr. Thomas DJ's book, New Roads to Hell, which should be coming out later this year. Tom got a cavalcade of podcasting excellence to get together and read a little bit from the book and kind of give you an idea of what it's going to be about. So definitely when that comes out, go check it out. And definitely go to the Nocturne Travel Agency at Welcome to Nocturne to go check out what Thomas is doing with this book. Thomas is a brilliant writer. I'm glad to have him as a friend, I'm glad to have him on the show, and anything I can do to promote his work, I'm more than willing to do it. So go check out Welcome to Nocturne, if I could speak. Speaking of speaking, you're going to have to listen to me do it for a little while longer as I'm getting ready to get into one of my favorite parts of the show, emails. You've got mail. Pattern baldness. (laughs) And I'm going to start out with a few letters from my favorite Canadian letter writer, Mr. Scott Davis. And to tell you how long it's been since I've read letters, this one came in around May 21st. And Scott says, uh, he's talking about Zero Hour, at the title of the email. And he says, hey, Sean, despite the terrible news in Oklahoma City recently, and he's talking about the tornadoes that came through here around the middle of May, so things are doing okay. Luckily, nothing happened here, but it's all good. He continues, said, I had an email prepared for the Zero Hour issues that I wanted to send to you. I knew it was, I was coming up to these issues for Green Lantern and Guy Gardner, and since I never really actually read Zero Hour, I thought I'd get the issues to find out what was going on. Thanks for recommending Michael Bailey's view Views from the Long Box, episode 81, with Mike and Shag. It was excellent. They provided great insight, and it's a must-listen for anyone tackling Zero Hour. Yeah, Mike and Shag did a good job, giving you a pretty much an overview of Zero Hour, and despite Shag's distaste for the book i i think it came across very well and, but shag has mistakes for a lot of things and he'll openly voice it so be be accustomed to that uh scott continues on i don't have any specific notes about these issues four through zero but i'm glad i read it to keep up with the continuity parallax guy and kyle overall the story was a bit complex because there are a lot of characters and a lot of things going on within the five issues but it was interesting to find out that Parallax was the main villain and Kyle plays a big role in defeating him, which legitimizes Kyle's status within the DC universe. I do have some notes about Greenlander number 55, Guy Gardner Warrior 24, and both the Zero issues though. Greenlander 55. Kyle and Major Force's battle at the beginning is great. There's no question that Daryl Banks incorporates a lot of the WWF moves in these panels, especially the blow from the top ropes. Yeah, I think I remember commenting on the fact that it looked like a lot of wrestling moves they were doing, a lot of chokeholds and stuff and that, so maybe uh, Banks got uh, his ideas for fighting from watching some of the old classic WWF shows. You never know. You might laugh, but I actually had no idea that the weird green item was going to be revealed as Kyle's Lantern. I'm a little slow sometimes. Even though it's labeled as a zero issue, it doesn't tie in until the very end when Superman and Metron show up. I really enjoyed your part in the enjoyed the part in the issue that reviews the Hal Jordan events, and the art throughout the issue was excellent. Good issue. Agreed. Um, Leading up to the Zero issue, it was nice that... Well, I don't know. It's kind of uncommon that it, it went from this whole idea of Major Force tackling Green Lantern and Kyle's loss of his... the love of his life directly into this big event thing where Kyle has to be the hero. I think it... I think it kind of jolts him out of that and we're taken away from the whole him having to grieve thing that we'll eventually get back into later issues. Scott continues on saying Guy Gardner Warrior number 24 Did I miss something? Because how did Guy all of a sudden appear in Coast City with Supergirl, Bad Girl, and Steel when he was literally just in the fun, with the Fun Gang in the Jungle last issue? Yeah, that was a pretty jarring jump as well, I, I have to admit that, but uh, he had to be in the Zero Hour storyline, so they had to connected in some way, and they just pulled him out of that one issue and put him in this one. So, there you go. I do agree that I really enjoyed the different art for each time period, and I think the Paraback back drew the best-looking Carrie Limbo so far. Although my Carrie Limbo knowledge is limited. Uh, all you need to know about Carrie Limbo is, she's a whore. Too bad she explodes to death in this issue. No, it's not too bad. She's a whore. Interesting that Hal Jordan is on the cover, because I thought it was well known that he had turned into Parallax by now. This was a good issue, and I liked how the pages turned white at the end, which ties in the Zero out nicely. Green Lantern Number Zero, this was a great issue with the fight between Hal and Kyle. Ron Mars has been really great so far. I thought it was strange how Kyle gave up his ring pretty quick to the killer Hal. I thought Hal was being manipulative on purpose with the fake tears, but in the end I think he was actually being honest and believing he was doing it the best for everyone. Uh, the end with the—I'm sorry—the end was great with the Oa being destroyed and Kyle flying off to space, telling everyone that they better get used to him being the one and only Green Lantern. I'm kind of of two minds on the whole Hal Jordan thing. If they're gonna make him a villain, make him a villain. Uh, he tries to be redemptive. He gets redemptive story arcs far too often, and I think he finally kind of redeems himself in Final Night and. With that, you would think his story is over, but they just can't seem to get rid of him. And as everyone obviously knows, he came back again. So they gave him closure in Final Night, which I just actually read for some upcoming shows. But I don't know. If he's going to be a villain, he needs to be a villain. Uh, I don't think it makes him a more interesting character that they give him the sort of out that he can take and kind of make people believe that he's actually doing things for the greater good because essentially he's doing things for his own personal self-interest but that's just me Scott continues on saying Guy Gardner warrior issue zero this was another great issue that summarizes Guy's rise to becoming a warrior on page eight Guy definitely has the Arnold Schwarzenegger look yes this is the splash page where Guy's feeling pretty powerful He is huge. Yep, uh, that's pretty much Mitch Bird uh, drawing Guy Gardner. He's pretty bulked up. He says, is that a Spider-Man reference on page 9? With great power comes great responsibility. Yeah, uh, Guy kind of mocked that, but uh, I think that's both mythic and having a little fun with the book. You and Thomas were hilarious. The birth of the hellish offspring on page 18 was absolutely disgusting. I'd like to find more about this little dude, though. He has been slaughtering everybody. Great issue. Well, if you don't know by now, the little guy who's been slaughtering everyone is Dementor, and you'll get to see him in a couple of issues here. I think issue 25, he has a big cameo. So get used to the creepy little guy who likes to slaughter people, because he's still. Finally, Scott says, overall, I really enjoyed these issues. I think the comb- combination of Mars and Smith on each of these titles is excellent. You mentioned the thought of joining Facebook in the future. You've done that. And I think I'm as old as you are. Very sorry. <laughs> so I really don't think it's necessary. Either. Well, sadly I did it, so I'm there. But if you want to reach out to the younger crowd through social media, it's probably the first place to start. I've also noticed that you've mentioned the Guy Gardner Collateral Damage miniseries a few, in a few podcasts. Do you have any plans to review it for fun? Your reviews of bad issues are hilarious. Well, thank you, Scott. Uh, yes, my I appreciate the fact that you like my reviews of bad issues but I don't even think I could bring myself to review that piece of track Ugh. that was just awful I I read that because I had uh, I'll go ahead and say I didn't even buy it I had a CBR of it and even though I got a CBR of it for free I wanted my money back after reading that that was not fun but Scott's finished up saying thanks Sean Scott well, we've got another letter from Scott. I'll go ahead and get to that. It's entitled, Trying to Catch Up in a Familiar Face in GL20. It says, Hi, Sean. I have to applaud you for getting your shows out weekly. I'm trying to catch up on the issues, though, but it's tough. I'm almost there. Uh, thanks. Uh, I know that when I took a little vacation, I wasn't downloading shows for about a week, and they all piled up, and now I've been listening to podcasts pretty much nonstop to try and get caught up. So I feel your pain, Scott. He says also, I don't read, I know you don't read the current Queen Lantern, so it won't be a spoiler if I tell you who Jeff Johns wrote to his final issue, number 20. The always lovable Nort. Hey, alright. I'm glad to hear that Nort made it there. Apparently he was presumed dead the whole time, but he shows up in a panel with Guy and it is great. It's nice to see him again, especially in a Jeff Johns last issue, where he'll be remembered forever. Keep up the great work, Scott. Scott, I'm glad you cued me into that. I've been looking around my LCS for a copy of Greenlander 20, and if I can't find it, I may have to go and search eBay or whatever for it. Because, yeah, uh, the fact that uh, John's finally decided to break down and put Nort in his issues just makes me happy. It, it makes me feel good that the DC Universe, you know, can do something a little fun with it. And I saw the panel with Nort back in there, and it's uh, that's just wonderful. It, it makes me happy again. Finally, we've got one more letter from Scott to get to. This is about Green Lantern 56 and 57. Scott writes in Hi, Sean. I hope everyone's doing well in Oklahoma these days. Caught up in a few more issues of Green Lantern and have some notes I wanted to throw your brain. Green Lantern number 56. When I started reading this issue, I knew for sure you'd have the Cantina music playing in the background of your podcast. Yeah, this was the one where Kyle ended up on the weird alien planet and, oddly enough, went into a bar where there are a bunch of weird aliens not reminiscent of any type of boobie that I've ever seen before in my life. It was completely and totally original concept. Excellent stuff, he says. Wow, Kyle's getting laid by hot aliens already? Yep, Kyle's that much of a playa. He doesn't waste any time. The errata suicide on page 19 was brutal. Yeah, the fact that uh, she took her life pretty much off panel and white right behind Kyle was Pretty horrendous. Yeah, I'm surprised they let it get away in the comic book, but uh, it was it was a different time. I wonder how it feels to have a girl commit suicide immediately after you have sex with her. Well, let me tell you, it's about oh wait, that's better left for another podcast. I guess. I guess Kyle knows now. So it looks like Kyle's lost two girlfriends within three issues. Yeah, not a good start. Good issue though. Yeah. Kyle doesn't seem to be having too many too too much good luck with uh, girls in his book, so maybe he needs to stop dating for a while for the uh, sake of the fairer sex. Scott continues on, Rebels Rebels 94 number one. This was an okay issue but the art was a bit off, especially with Lobo. Oh, yes, the art was off, that was awful. The death of the aliens on their home world was brutal, but I like how Kyle punches Drill Docs out when he finds that he targeted aliens on purpose. Overall, it was pretty stupid to the end when Doc just points to one of the stars in the sky and says, That's your son. We had to read the whole issue just for that line. Well, I guess you didn't have to read the whole issue, but I did, and I appreciate you coming along for the ride. Yeah, Rebels wasn't really a book that I was looking forward to reading, and if I had to read it, uh, I think I'd be a bit sadder. But thankfully, I only had to read that one-off issue, and yeah, it was kind of a waste for that... One single line just to tell Kyle where he's supposed to be. Moving on, he goes to Green Lantern number 57. This was a good issue. I like the tough scene at the beginning where Kyle pays his last respects to Alex DeWitt. I wonder if he feels bad about sleeping with Hot Alien while he was missing Alex's people. Well, I'm certain he feels bad about it, but you know, at the time he was half a hot alien rookie, so that was all fun. It's not mentioned in the issue, but I'm sure it's eating in Muffin Side. I thought it was a bit weak of Kyle when he said he didn't do anything to help the lady on the street when the crazy hobo was harassing her. Don't remember the. Oh, yes, the. The. You'll get more about that crazy hobo in later issues. I like the character of Raidu Stanju already. I'm glad you mentioned that he'd be a recurring character in the series. He's a fun one. I, I enjoy Raidu. Coincidentally, I follow Daryl Banks on Twitter, and recently, on May 20th, he tweeted a picture of his Radu's coffee mug. Yeah, I remember the they had some of those out. They had some, you know, little property stuff for the Greenlander books back in the time, so that's kind of neat. He said he found it when he was doing his spring cleaning. I need one now. Uh, I'd rather have a Warrior's coffee mug myself, but that's just me. I'm not a fan of storylines where people's minds are taken over by villains, so I'm a bit sketchy about where this is going with Simon, and I'm not sure if I'm too thrilled about the New Titans in this book. You, me, and Tom, DJ, are probably on the same level. Continuing on, uh, Scott says, New Titans 116 and 170. I picked up the two issues of the New Titans to help keep me up to date with the continuity of Kyle. I'm really glad you asked Thomas, DJ, if it was worth getting the whole New Titans run with Kyle... And he basically said, "Hell no." I think it was uh, more profane than hell, but yeah, I'll give you that. Thomas just saved me a bunch of time and money. Thanks. I'm not a big fan. I'm not a big fan of when writers try to tell you how powerful the character is and how they, how they tell you that you should like a certain character. On page ten, Arsenal says that Kyle is every bit as powerful as Hal Jordan was. The best part about comics is that you can show us through the art how powerful the characters are. This was a cheap way for Wolfman to tell the New Titans readers that Kyle is as powerful as Hal when he could just show them instead. I've also noticed that it happens quite often in comics, especially when writers try and tell you that you should like a certain character without the readers deciding for themselves. Yeah, I can't stand that when someone promotes this character and says, Oh, you're going to love this character. You're going to love Loose Cannon. He's amazing. You need to read this Nightblade character. No, we're not going to like him still bitter about bloodlines. Tangent aside, Scott says, thankfully Kyle breaks free of the mind control at the end. Page 20 was hilarious, with Kyle squirting green gummy resin over Donna. Well, I'm certain that's not the first time that Kyle wanted to squirt something over Donna. Ugh, there goes the explicit tag. I wonder if the scene was foreshadowing a future romance between the two. Again, the explicit tag. Issue 117 was a weird issue with Simon tormenting all the new Titans. In Kyle's part, we got to see a zombie Alex DeWitt playing the kilt card with Kyle. In the end, they help a strange alien called Minion, and Simon is down for the count. Okay, so that's where Minion comes from. He was the weird, beefy, silver, silver surfer character that we saw in the Siege of siege or whatever. Makes sense now. I won't be pursuing any further issues of the new Titans after this. You and me both, Scott. You and me both. He finishes up saying, thanks, Sean, and have a great week, Scott. Thank you, Scott, for writing in. I really appreciate you, well, I guess, emailing from Canada really doesn't cost all that much, but I appreciate you writing in nonetheless, Scott. It's good to hear from you, and thanks for writing in. The next letter comes from Ben Perlman, and he writes in saying, caught up with the lanterns. He says, Mr. Engel. You don't have to call me Mr. Engel. That's what they call my dad. Wait, That's a Luke Eddie joke. I should have saved, should have saved that for Luke. He says, still enjoying it. Oh, sorry, still enjoying your podcast. and now that I just finished episode 67, wow, there's a gap between emails. and I'm finally caught up to you once again. In your recent marathon of guest hosts, was fu- oh, I'm sorry, your recent marathon of guest hosts was fun to hear as I listened to their podcast as well, and it's nicer when I'm familiar with their work. Yeah, it was nice actually working with uh, – I did Tom Panarese recently, Thomas DJ, Michael Bradley. Uh, I actually had J. David Weeder on as well, so it was fun having all those guys on. I, I think I'm benefited by uh, having guest hosts on as it diminishes the fact that you're having to listen to me talk about this. But uh, continue on. He says, during the shows, you came across some topics that I didn't really know the answers to, so I'm hoping – that you didn't really know the answers to, so I'm hoping I can help. Here are some of the notes that I found. Note: This one might beca- might contain spoilers. You said in episode 66 when Cow gave the man in the wheelchair a, po- a portion of his power that Kyle has something similar do with John Stewart later on. I believe that this was actually how Jordan helped John during the Final Night storyline, which helped him heal from becoming crippled by Graven and Geol number 75. I was completely wrong there, and recently upon reading up, uh, trying to catch up on Final Night, I did remember that. So. Thank you for pointing that out, Ben. I'm glad you wrote in for that. As a result, he has, he continues saying, as a result he had some instances of spending green energy, but I don't recall if that storyline went anywhere. Also in the same episode for Guy Gardner thirty five, you're wondering why Guy Gardner did not recognize the former Green Lantern Chrisma when he freed her from captivity. In Green Lantern course. quarterly, number five, you see her being found in a cocoon on the Mosaic planet, Navoa, by the Mosaic kids. And when she was released, she supposedly looks completely different from the last time the guy saw her. Okay, well, that makes sense as well, because I knew that Guy and Charisma had, if not a relationship, relationship at least a working relationship during the Englehart run on Green Lantern. So it just kind of boggled me why he didn't know who she was. But this explains it pretty well. Ben finishes up. Hopefully, I can keep up my listening schedule. Look forward to each Friday. Thanks, Ben Perlman. Well, thanks, Ben. I appreciate you writing in. Uh, again, if you want to write in, uh, the email always will be just one of the guys podcast at gmail.com. But we've got one more email to get to, and it's from one of my favorite podcasters out there, host of Earth Destruction Directive and the Vault of Starling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, Mr. Luke Giaconetti. Giaconetti! Sorry, channeling rob kelly and jack Uh, luke and luke starts out saying sean i'd pay money to see cal rayner and gamera fight james hatfield and brett michaels you know what i think everyone would pay for that that sounds amazing that aside this story sounds like an absolute blast i love flash and gl team ups so even a gl i've never read much of teaming up with the flash is right up my alley Cal and Wally make for an interesting pairing. There's a great bit in Identity Crisis where they're referred to as the brave and the bold. Interesting, with the idea that they're somewhat reversed in personality from Hal and Barry. While Hal was the one who saw things in black and white, and often punched first and asked questions later, Cal is more likely to find a solution through talking before action. Similarly, as a scientist, Barry would look for a way to get out of a predicament by using his brain, while Wally was much more of a straight-ahead sort of character. So, they always seem to match up quite nicely. I thought Dave had a really good point about Wally's misplaced anger. Hal Jordan was something of an uncle to him, so if you consider Barry as Wally's father figure. So, this makes sense from a character standpoint, especially considering how Wally would not tolerate any criticism of Barry or his legacy. It makes sense. You've got this young kid stepping in as Green Lantern for a person that Wally basically grew up to know and love... Uh, The Green Lantern character of Hal was really close to him, so, yeah, you could see Kyle stepping into the character, him being a bit reluctant to accept him as the Green Lantern character. So, I think, uh, yeah, Dave definitely made a good point there. Luke continues on saying, Man, how have we not brought back the hair metal sonar at this point? I, I hate to say it, Luke, but I think the hair metal days are sadly locked in the late 80s early 90s and it's nice to reminisce but unfortunately i don't think they're going to be bringing them back anytime soon but who knows luke continued said i i'd have him as a 90s meddler trying to regain the glory days and talking in passe rock lingo this stuff writes itself okay you've sold me on it jeff johns get on this sonar needs to be a hair metal person oh i'm sorry jeff johns isn't writing green anymore too bad Over in Guy Gardner, a clone of Guy fighting the Patrons of Warriors for an issue-long fight? Yep, it's Underworld Unleashed, all right. Agreed. This issue was kind of hard to follow without having the actual comic in front of me to read along. Eh, Even if you had the comic in front of you, it wasn't one of the best ones. The Prince of Space reference made up for it. Yes, anytime you can reference Prince of Space, that's always good to do. I enjoy boot-blacking very much the reference of Prince of Space. I agree with you. Prince of Space is better than the invasion of the Neptune, man. But the latter does have the infamous Hitler building gag. If you don't know what I'm talking about, get yourself to looking at some mystery science theater. And the pretty bad invasion of the Neptune, man. There's a Hitler building in it that they blow up. It makes no sense continue on, Luke says, interested in seeing where we're going with this book, insofar as the inevitable guy-on-guy action. Ew, wait. (laughs) I'd better sign off after that one, Luke. He says, P.S. Gamera is not only friend to children everywhere, he is also the guardian of the universe, the baddest turtle in the galaxy. So, why isn't Gamera blue, then, if he's... Oh, wait, I'm mixing my metaphors there. P.P.S., Luke says, I've seen Twilight entirely too many to... Too many times, I pity your soul, Luke, much more than I would care to admit. I would pay cash. To, I would pay cash money to see Morbius, the living vampire, rip the throat out of Edward Cullen. You know, I think everyone would love that. P.P.S. Luke re- writes: Dave mentioned dry clean only, which, of course, the only warning label that anyone pays attention anymore. I must have missed that. And P.P.P.S. or P.P. P.P.S. Rail kills, huh? All I have to say is big, big, large, huge, buff, plank chest, crystal McThorn body, blast hard cheese, slap bulkhead, Bob Johnson. Oh, oh, wait. Ah, uh, space mutiny. It was such a fun movie. And finally, P.P.P.P.S. I sure would pay money for a lot of things than the sea mail, huh? Yeah, <laughs> and I'm assuming with uh having a new child that. Money's pretty short with you. Pampers and formula cost a heck of a lot, from what I remember. But Luke, thanks for writing in. Thanks, everyone, for writing in. I really appreciate you guys sending me emails. It, it's makes, it makes this job fun, and I really enjoy reading on the air and kind of having a sort of one-way conversation with you. It's me talking to myself, I guess, which isn't all that odd. But let's skip that awkwardness, and let's move on to the awkwardness of Green Lantern Fighting Wonder Woman and Green Lantern number seventy-three. Green Lantern number seventy three was cover dated April nineteen ninety-six with a release date of February twentieth, nineteen ninety-six. The cover price was $1.75 US and two fifty Canada. The title was Hero Quest Three Gateway. Writer was Ron Mars, penciler Paul Pelletier, Inker Romeo Tangal. colorist Linda Bedley, letterer Albert Guzman, Associate Editor Eddie Braganza, and editor Kevin Dooley. Our story opens with Wonder Woman in her bouncing and behaving hair stating that she's going to punish you, a statement that, given the right context, would probably please every male in this reading book and a good number of the female readers as well. However, the context is in the literal sense, as she punches our title hero, Green Lantern, into a crate filled with fish. Cowell recoups himself and asks the Amazonian princess if it's his turn to do a little pummeling. Wonder Woman says, not quite yet, as she lassoes the lantern and flings him into the side of a building. Standing over the down lantern, Diana finally proclaims that it's enough. Kyle gives a sly grin and ignores the cessation of hostilities, slams into Wonder Woman with a ring-construct flail, and shoots ring-construct bullets at the Themysciran. Gaining the upper hand in the battle, Kyle ring-constructs up an anchor which he chains Wonder Woman to, and drops her in the bay of Gateway City much to the surprise of the onlooking dockworkers. Meanwhile in space, the last remnants of the Dark Stars prepare for their final stand against their unknown assailant. Colin Farrell... Farron Kolos tells John Stewart that they've been through worse as he's certain that they'll make it through this. John feels differently, but some kind words, as well as a little tonsil hockey from fellow Dark Star and Whoopi Marin eases John's trepidation. Back in Gateway... Kyle sits atop a bridge, contemplating his meetups with some of Earth's greatest heroes. Despite run-ins with Batman, Robin, Sentinel, Captain Marvel, and now Wonder Woman, he has a better idea of what it means to be a hero, but not the big picture. Ky wonders if the breakup between him and Donna might have something to do with him being ill at ease, but just as he's about to contact his former girlfriend, Wonder Woman, all fresh out of the water, walks up behind him. You see, the entire fight and supposed murder of Wendy was all a ruse to try and bring out three alien criminals that crash-landed near Co City. And to no one's surprise, the ruse worked as the trio of aliens break into Dynatech Lab and make off with a warp prototype thingy to power their crashed ship. However, Diane and Kyle are there to stop them from making off with the technology by participating in the book's prerequisite amount of Fighting McFightenstein, copyright Andrew Leyland 2011, all rights reserved. Wonder Woman makes short work of the two massive coons while Cal tries to reason with the female shake Shiken, whatever. Somehow this time, the Captain Marvel approach doesn't work as well as expected, and Cal gets a boot to the head from the female felon. Trying to contain her, Cal places a ring construct cage, forcing her to activate the prototype warp field thingy, which will trigger a massive explosion. But before things can go all kablooey, Diana leaps upon the device, shielding it with her body. The blast is enormous, but Wonder Woman comes out relatively unscathed, with the Syshen female flung over her shoulder. Kyle marvels at the feat as Wonder Woman chides him for going easy on the criminal, simply because she was a woman. Kyle takes note of the advice, and Diana, Diana wraps up the villains in her lasso and flies him off to the slab. Taking her for the advice, Kyle lands on a rooftop to contemplate his situation. Even though he's learned each from these heroes that he's met, he still feels like something is missing. But since he's on the west coast, he might as well take a little time for himself. Maybe even visit with his estranged mother. But all of that is broken up by the one person that he didn't want to deal with Darkstar and former girlfriend Donna Troy. If you're It's kind of neat here that aside from Superman, Kyle's met up essentially with the quote-unquote Trinity in his quest to discover what it means to be a hero, and the next issue seemed to be setting up for something big with the character, not only in his dealings with Donna, but also his dealings with this unknown person or persons who are killing off the Dark Stars. Although I've personally felt for a long time that Kyle has taken on the mantle of Green Lantern and done it well, now he's going to be able to officially show it off and i think with issue 75 coming up they're trying to lay the groundwork for Kyle being the one green lantern in the dc universe so we'll have to see how this all turns out but overall i enjoyed this issue but let's go ahead and take a look at it in a little bit more detail as i go through my notes for it as usual starting with the cover and it's a very dynamic cover it is limited by the fact that it doesn't have a background, but it's an action-fold cover, so it's got the sort of explosive uh, speed lines coming out from behind Wonder Woman. But finally, we get a cover that... Well, not finally, but we get a cover that actually depicts something that's going on in the issue. In this issue, Green Lantern and Wonder Woman are fighting. And it's a nice, catchy-looking issue with uh, really great art, again from Pelletier, uh, showing a very 90s-haired Wonder Woman. I mean... Like I said before in the synopsis, Wonder Woman definitely has some bouncing and behaving hair here, but it's a really dynamic-looking cover. Uh, The fact that these two heroes are fighting kind of would draw a person in if they just saw this on the spinner rack, or they saw it in their—I guess you would—I don't know whether you'd still find them on spinner racks, but if you saw them in your local comic book shop, this might uh, lead you to want to pick up this issue, so good cover. And moving into the book, on page one, again, Pelletier does a great job with drawing women. Uh, Wonder Woman looks very sexy. She looks very feminine, but she also looks very physically threatening. But she doesn't look overly muscled, as she kind of did when Mitch Bird was drawing her. Really great-looking female character. But I swear, about 25% of this splash page is made up of Wonder Woman's over-the-top curly hair it's just it doesn't suit the character in my opinion but i guess this might have been her look at the time so there you go page three panel four this is something that i liked on wonder woman uh the fact that her boots aren't high-heeled and it's been sort of a point of contention with uh female characters or female superheroes that they have to wear Ridiculous over the top high heeled stiletto boots, or whatever, and I don't think that's in any way practical. And I don't know whether this is a change for this Wonder Woman, but I do like the fact that we're not seeing Wonder Woman running around kicking people on high heels. However, the art is a bit off on this panel, as from a distance, I guess when uh, Pelletier draws some of the women from a distance she looks a bit skinnier than she does in more close-up shots so her legs are kind of tiny here but minor nitpick then when we get to page four panel three i think we have the uh the most awkward yet awesome positioning of kyle in there is wonder woman has grabbed kyle in the lasso and she's smashed him into this building and kyle is laying on the ground with wonder woman's spread eagle pretty much right on top of his face you know if Wonder Woman could teabag Kyle, uh, this would be what she'd be doing right now. Think about that for a while. Not the teabagging part, but just the positioning. I'll be in my bunk. And also in this panel, I don't know what the heck those guys are doing back there, but it looks like Tor Johnson and Zap Rousedower are looking at Wonder Woman's bud.
2: Rousedower. Rousedower.
3: Rousedower. Rousedower. Rouse Tower. Rouse Dower. Rouse Dower. Rouse Dower. Rouse Tower. Rouse Dower. Getting water for Rouse Dower. Rouse Tower wants me to get water for him. Rouse tower,
0: rouse tower, rouse the rouse, rouse tower. Bowser Bowser Louse Tower. Sabity Sabity South Tower. Bibbidi Bobbity Bows Tower. Babidi Babidi Dower. Rouse
3: Dower. Rouse Dower. Ah. Rouse Dower is him. Rouse Dower
1: hour. Rouse Dower. saves us and saves all
0: the world You can never have enough roused Tower. Then moving on to page six, panel two, again the art on Wonder Woman looks off on this panel. Pelletier just draws her a lot skinnier, especially in her legs. Um, Like I said, I think it's probably when he's drawing distance shots of Wonder Woman, she just doesn't look as good as when he's drawing close-ups of her. But in my opinion, yeah, I'd I'd rather look at Wonder Woman close-up. Pages 8 and 9, we get all subplots accounted for with the whole thing with the Dark Stars going on, so, you know, there's that. Like I said, not really a big fan of the Dark Stars, but I guess they're integral in the book because Donna Troy is one and now so is Jon Stewart. So there you go. Plus, um, this character of Marin, I hope she has a better, well, I hope she has better luck with John than the last, uh, strange colored alien did with John, because that could get awkward really quick. Moving on to page 11, panels three and four, after some introspection and an internal monologuing from Kyle, We get a wonderful little shot of Kyle, who's been sitting on top of this bridge, just kind of freaked out and his eyes going really wide in the mask as Wonder Woman has put her head or put her hand on his head and sort of, you know, done that tossling of the hair thing. And, you know, he's just, uh, just the look on his face, the expression is very shocked and it's uh, depicted really well with just the whiteness of his eyes uh, through the very green crab mask. It's a neat neat image here but what's even better is the next uh, panel with diana all dripping wet and her hair finally sort of lost a bunch of its buoyancy and because of it being wet but that is a, a really nice panel of wonder woman uh yeah i'm i'm just uh i'm just amazed with the uh way pelletier draws the female form and it's it's really nice in this book on the next page, page twelve, Cow ring constructs a a towel for uh, Wonder Woman to clean off or to dry off, I'm sorry. <laughs> I think she was dirty. Uh yeah, she she dries off with a ring construct towel and I'm I'm wondering how that works. I mean, I understand he can make anything with his mind, but how would a hard light construct towel actually dry you off? But I guess it's just, you know, it's a trope of the character. I guess he can create anything, and when he does, it's not really light construct. It can be cottony soft, so eh, whatever. Plus, they've got on the same page in the third panel, they've got one of those nice silhouette shots where they show uh, the character is all inked in black, yet their parts of their uniforms are sort of lifting off of them in the sort of different colors. And Wonder Woman, it's all gold, and we see her... Uh, chest emblem and her magic lasso and her gauntlets uh, reflecting sort of the gold, while on the other side we see Kyle and his uh, uniform all black except for the uh, green parts of it. Again, it's a nice little it's a nice little touch that we don't see too often in the comics, but when it's used like this, I think it's really effective, and it really is a kind of neat looking, neat looking piece of artwork. Moving along, I don't have too many more notes until about page eighteen which is a nice splash page. Well, it's like a three-quarter splash page of Wonder Woman shielding Kyle from the blast with her body as she sort of leans over the explosive device or the warp drive engine, whatever it was, to save her, or to save Kyle. And Kyle ducks behind some conveniently placed uh, ring construct sandbag. So Kyle should have done the right thing and sort of, ringed up a shield to contain the blast but eh, there you go wonder woman's awesome then on the next page panel three we get wonder woman being kind of peeved that kyle didn't go all out about this person all out against this person uh this was an enemy that had a an explosive device and kyle just treated her with uh kid gloves and then the next panel she basically gives kyle some advice saying, I come from a race of warriors that was taught there's no excuse for hesitation in battle. A true warrior never forces combat, but doesn't shy from it once it begins. And that's, again, another nice piece of advice that will hopefully give Kyle a way to sort of round out his character and round out how he needs to do things in the DC Universe. He's gotten from Sentinel how to be sort of ruthless at times, He's gotten from Captain Marvel to look at a situation and not always go in guns a-blazing. And he's gotten from Wonder Woman that when a fight comes to you, you go ahead and embrace it and you take it back to them and you deliver it back 100%. So it's nice that he's getting all of this advice from the main heroes in the DC Universe to try and help him round out his character. But after that, again, I don't have any notes until the final page on page 22 where Donna, for whatever reason, encounters Kyle. And I don't know why Donna would be in Gateway City unless there's just a connection to her and Wonder Woman being there. I'm not really certain about that. I don't know if Gateway was considered Donna's home as well, but she's here and Kyle has to deal with it. But the the thing about this page, it feels kind of out of place because... There's no background images. There's no, you know, Kyle was sitting on top of uh, the Museum of Antiquities, and it's just basically a blank white page. I mean, I guess it allows the characters to stand out more, but the fact that there's no background sort of takes me out of the book. But overall, a good issue, and it's setting up some, hopefully, some big stuff uh, coming with uh, the next couple issues. So we'll see what goes on next time. But this is my notes. This is my notes. Good lord, I can't speak today. These are my notes for the issue. Uh, I really enjoyed it, and I'm getting ready to really enjoy another sort of out-there issue of Guy Gardner Warrior, coming up right after these promos.
3: Since the day Bruce Banner was bathed in Gamma Rays, he has fought the creature within. The creature torments Banner. The creature is unstoppable. The creature is incredible. Now, the countdown has begun to Banner's greatest confrontation with the Hulk, and all of his internal battles have come down to one moment. One final chance to reclaim his life and be whole, and three words will change the Hulk and Banner forever. Honey, I'm home. Bigger. Smarter. Greener. The Hulk is taken to new heights as writer Peter David delivers an all-new phase for the Jade Giant. And Pad Smash, an Incredible Hulk podcast, is bringing it all to you. Join J. David Wheeler, Lee Busby, and Michael Bailey as they turn a new corner and cover the all-new, all-different Incredible Hulk. Find the Ultimate Hulk podcast experience weekly at iTunes and at IncredibleHulkHomePage.com. Pad Smash, an Incredible Hulk podcast. Experience the epic like never before.
1: Hey, Michael. Hey, Dad. We need to record another new trailer. Another one? Yes. You know that we read comics and then talk about comics because, as we've established, talking about comics you've not read is just dumb. Yeah, and you make me do it every Thursday. Well, we've moved. Have we? Yes, we have outgrown our old location. I don't feel like I've moved. And we have now moved to 2TrueFreaks.com. What was that again? 2TrueFreaks.com.
0: Hey, Kids Comics. Still, every Thursday at 2TrueFreaks.com. And with that, I welcome you back to Guy Gardner Warrior number 42. Guy Gardner Warrior 42 was cover dated May 1996, with a release date on or about March 20th, 1996. Again, thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Comics for that info. Cover price was $1.75 US and two fifty Canada. The title was A Gender Bender in the Blender. The writer was Bodelia Smith. Penciler was Marcella Campos. Inker was Danielle Davis. colorist Leela Lowridge. Letterer, Alberta de Guzman. And editor, Edwina Berganza. Don't you hate those mornings when your alarm clock wakes you up way earlier than you wanted to get up? Yeah, me too. And don't you really hate that when you step in the shower and try and wake up, you find that you've been transformed into a hot, amply bosom ginger? Yeah, me too. Apparently something happened to Guy last night, and instead of his rugged manliness, Aresia Wildcat and Lady Blackhawk are witness to Guy's womanly curvaceousness. Thankfully, the convenient arrival of a FedEx letter explains just what's going on. Opening the package, Guy finds a card from his long-thought banished nemesis Dementor. Slamming the letter down, Guy activates his Baldarian powers and, in a pose saving the one zero issue, becomes the tattooed heroine, Gal Gardner. Of course, this just happens to be the exact time that uber-hot model Martika has decided to show up at the warrior's abode, and unfortunately for the readers, she's not too keen on having her boy toy be, well, a girl. As Gal and Lady Blackhawk head out to meet with the mentor, Martika absconds with the letter and heads back to her waiting limo, telling the driver that she will not only make the nightmarish ne'er-do-well Gal back, but she'll also add him to her final equation. Meanwhile, Ga- Gal and Lady Blackhawk head to the meeting place while Gal puzzles over how she's supposed to cross her arms with all this stuff in the way. Zena tells Gal to be thankful that she isn't pregnant as they approach the Lavour's fashion show, where Dementor is holding the members of the fashion show hostage. While the tentacle terror snaps necks and monologues about his plans for a transformed gal, our hero appels from the chopper to the roof of the building and finds a note on the door. Bidding him to beat Dementor in the ballroom, waiting for the pun to take effect. As Gal kicks in the door, Martika uses her mental powers to try and control Dementor, but something seems to be blocking them, so the secretive Superbottle makes a call to her mysterious benefactor. Cut then to said ballroom where the standoff between Gal and Dementor begins. Dementor threatens to kill all the hostages if Gal doesn't give in to his demands, and rather than risk of killing all the beautiful people, Gal gives in to Dementor's wishes. There's a quick sidetrack to the Quorum HQ where we see their science, and then it's back to the fashion show where Dementor has forced Gal to be a runway model for the latest and 90s hauteur couture. However you pronounce that. However, the humiliation is cut short by the entrance of Martika and her bodyguards, who demand Dementor change Gal back to Guy. Dementor says no ties, as he's immune to Martika's mind whammies now that he's got his adopted father, Mudaka, around. Too bad Mudaka isn't immune to bullets, as Martika's bodyguards riddle him with gunfire. As Dementor is distracted by the murder of Mudaka, Gal ditches the French maid outfit and releases hostages, while Martika zaps Dementor with a quorum-enhanced mind blast. After having Dementor turn Gal back to Guy, Martika tries the same psionic attack on Guy, but his link with the just arrived Verona keeps him from becoming hexed. Realizing that discretion is the better part of valor, Martika and Dementor poof off departs unknown as Verona tells an uncomfortable Guy that her bond with him is eternal. But that eternal thing might just be put to rest, as the final panel shows Martika, flanked by all of the Warrior's villains, ready to take him out. Although this episode wasn't quite as humorous as the Paraback issue last time, but really, what could be, this stuff's have some good comedy beats to it. Having Guy, being written by Bo Smith, the manliest man in Compton, turn into a female is an interesting concept that plays in the gender roles of the time. Basically, the men were always beefy, muscular people, and the women were always these svelte little overly top heavy women. Uh, the fact that the sort of switch rolls around is kind of amusing. And even though Bo Smith strikes me as a truly manly man, he never comes off in this book as misogynistic or demeaning to the ladies. I mean, there are some comedy bits about you know having to deal with the problems of female organs. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. It's never meant in a demeaning manner or a sexist manner, as, as far as I can tell. I think all of this is meant to be in good fun, and it really comes off that way. But we'll go ahead and take a look at the issue itself as a whole, starting with the cover, uh, which is Joyce Chin and Dan Panison, I guess, or Panisane, I don't know how to pronounce that last name. I think they do a really good job of making a very 90s cheesecake cover with the uh, very feminine guy, well, gal gardener, obviously topless, but with her hands crossed across her chest so she's covering any naughty bits of course the hands are morphed into the giant uh, guy gardner guns so they're so they're not only doing the sort of sexiness of the uh, super hot model thing they're also doing the manliness of the giant big guns that are the aesthetic in the guy gardner book um the only problem i really have with this is chin's face of guy although it is changed from guy's regular look looks a lot like a except for the pointy ears it's i guess it's not the best face out there but you can definitely tell it's a different looking guy and we'll get more into that in the uh, issue page one it amazes me how asleep do you have to be to not be able to notice that in the middle of the night you've been changed from male to female i mean I know I've woken up really tired before, but usually I can take a look down and see that parts are there that need to be there. Or they aren't obscured by other parts. Maybe that's just me. Maybe no one else has had that problem but me. Page two. I know it's only 7.30 in the morning, but why in the world are Wildcat and Lady Blackhawk in their uniforms? I mean... Maybe they're early risers, maybe Wildcat was out uh, patrolling the streets, but it seems kind of weird. Wildcat, we've seen him in civilian clothes, and you would think it being 7.30 in the morning, you know, they would have just gotten up. But maybe Wildcat's one of those people who goes to bed at, you know, like 8 o'clock at night and gets up at 5 in the morning. So he's all dressed and ready to go by 7.30. Page three, we get probably some of the best Campos art that I've seen in the book so far. Uh, Guy, as Gal Gardner, looks really nice here, but she really does have the sort of 90s look. The very top-heavy, the very busty look, while her waist is inordinately skinny. Um, For the 90s kind of uh, artwork, the 90s kind of look of females, it's very good, but it is just... It is that 90s look. It's not realistic. Um, It was much better done with Wonder Woman in the Green Lantern issue. She looked, even though she had kind of a thin waist and at times Pelletier drew her with thinner legs, she looked more realistic than Guy here. But for a 90s aesthetic and for a 90s look of females, it's really pretty good. And I've got to give credit to Campos where I can because sometimes, especially later in the issue, Campos' art will be a point of contention. And another weird look of uh, Gal, and this happens on page 4, panel 1, we get a look at her hair, and it's very, it's very flock of seagulls. It's got that sort of very spiky look that, I guess it's a way to distinguish her from the Guy Gardner character, but it just looks weird. Plus on this page, we get the letter delivered from Dementor to Guy, and it comes in a FedEx zip box. And I guess that's an easy way to make sure that it got there on time but it does kind of smack of unnecessary product placement even though i don't really think that they were going for product placement here i guess it was just a way to make sure that the letter was delivered to guy in a timely manner and if it was them waiting to go get the mail then it probably wouldn't have worked as well so there you go it's to develop develop the plot i no price my own self then on page 5, panel 2, we get the actual letter. I'm going to try and read it. It's Sadly, it's in the dark purple that this book is permeated with, so i having to hold it up. It says, Dearest guy, I mean gal, by now you are freely experiencing your feminine side. I first wanted you to know that you that you have me to thank for your frilly situation. If you want to persuade me to change you back into your manly self, meet me at Lavor's fashion show. As always, come alone and wear something sexy. Ha 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 ha. As you know, this is a trap. Your dream date, Dementor. So, even though Dementor's been out of the book, he, he is one of Guy Gardner's big villains in this series. So, you kind of expected him come back, but again, I'm really not up on the coloring here all this dark look just really detracts from the book i liked it better in with the artwork with with the artwork with mitch bird because it had more of a color and more of a brightness to it Uh, i think they use a lot of dark coloring to sort of cover up campos's art that's disappointing however on page six i will credit campos for doing this He does a pretty good homage to the Zero Hour version of Guy Gardner where he rips off his pants and is in the full warrior regalia. Except this time, it's obviously very feminine. Uh, The pose is pretty much the same. Uh, The tattoos are pretty much the same except across the chest, they are covering her breast as a sort of bustier type thing. Uh, But it's pretty good artwork. Unfortunately, it's also... Well, not spoiled, but there is uh, the artist's signature down at the bottom. It's not as blatant as the Banks and Tangal one that we got in Greenlander number 50, but it's still there, and I'm pretty certain it wasn't there when they did the uh, same splash like this in the Guy Gardner issue number zero. So good artwork here from Campos. It looks good. Uh, It apes the image pretty well, and it's a nice drawing. So I'll give it to him here page seven uh it's sad to know that Martika is not enticed by uh gal's womanliness in fact she's kind of disappointed that guy has turned into gal and i guess that disappoints me because right now i'm imagining some hot Martika on gal action and wait i'm sorry i'm doing a review here i i got distracted Maybe I won't get so distracted as we move on to page eight, panel four, where a guy flies to meet the mentor in what else? But an attack helicopter known as Airwolf. Da 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 I shouldn't rip that off from Andy and Steven, that's their bit. But it's just so fun. The idea that Buck Wargo and Guy Gardner and the crew fly around in a attack helicopter. Just makes me smile as as Airwolf makes me smile. Plus, on the same page as Guy and Zinda are flying in, and obviously it's Airwolf, that's What I'm claiming it's gonna be. Guy has that complaint about being able to cross his hands across his chest, and he doesn't understand how you female type can do it with all this breast in the way. So. Yeah, it's first world problems, isn't it? Yeah, you can't cross your hands, cross your chest, because huge pieces of flesh. Yeah, first world problems. Anyway, we go from the fun of Airwolf to the horribleness of Dementor. And page 9 is just awful. In fact, I don't think page 9 is... Evenly really colored. The only color on it is the orange hair of Dementor. Everything else is dark browns and those purples and dark blues, and it's it's not good art. That's not good coloring, and it's just there are such good scenes in this book and such bad ones, and it ebbs and flows through here. And it this is just an awful looking page. The artwork is bad. The coloring is bad. I don't know how they're able to go from such good artwork in the book to to, to this kind of stuff. It's just it's just befuddling. Page 11 we get another bit of humor here as Guy Gardner lands on the top of the building and goes to the door from the, I guess, the rooftop door to go down into the room and there's a note tacked on at the door saying Hey sweetie, what took you so long? Hurry along, we'll be waiting in the ballroom. And I think definitely the The entire thing of the ballroom is essentially a double entendre, or a sort of filthy innuendo. Take it for what you will. However, I do love one thing on this page, and this is in panel 3. Again, like in the Green Lantern comic, both Gal and Wonder Woman are wearing boots that don't have high heels. Proving that if you're going to be an action hero in a comic book, and you're female, it's best not to wear high heels me, Arisia. I'm looking straight at you here. Page 12. Again, we get more unseen character development with Martika that kind of leads you to believe that something might be going on with her more than just she's got these mental powers. And in the end, we do find out that she's been working for Quorum, and she's basically setting up guys. So it's interesting that over the past couple of issues, Bo's been able to lay out this character, and unfortunately it's going to come to a close far too soon. Page 13 and 14, we get another change of the art and it just goes from good to bad within a couple of pages. Here, the artwork is just off. The coloring, again, is awful, especially on page 14, with the mentor just being purple and blue, that just dark, almost fill-type coloring. And on page 13, Gal looks... Her figure is really off. Her left thigh is bigger than her waist and uh, she's just really odd looking it's it's amazing to me that they can pull off really good artwork in this book like they did on the first couple of pages with gal and then come to this and it just be so off i don't know whether campos get the can't get the perspective on his figure work down or what it is but that it varies so much within the book just is really upsetting Then moving to page 15, we get more quorum stuff, which I could care less about. I guess they're developing some new super soldier from Guy's DNA. Who knows what the heck that's about? Could care less. And on page 16, Dementor's big plan was essentially to humiliate Gal by making her be a catwalk fashion model. Yeah, that's Dementor's big evil plan. This isn't the best of the Guy Gardner books. Page 17, the, the artwork improves a little. I mean, Gal looks a little bit more in proportion, even though she's in some overly ridiculous costumes. But it's a fashion show that's always going to have overly ridiculous costumes. But the coloring here is still awful. I Who's the colorist on this? Lee Lowridge? Uh, I'm wondering if he's working today, because hopefully he's improved some, because this is really just not good at all. Moving on to page 18, panel 5, we get the return of Mudaka. You remember Mudaka, the sort of uh, strange shamanist character who brought forth the mentor? Yeah, we get him for all of two panels, and then he's gunned down by Martika's guards on page 19, panel 2. Poor Mudaka, he was such an interesting character, and really well fleshed out and really integral to the story you don't believe that for a second do you good page 20 panel 3 we get sort of some sort of vague confirmation that Martika couldn't have control gal because guy was essentially a female at the time and i guess her mind whammy powers only work on males but i really don't care about it i'm I'm kind of disappointed with this book. I'm sorry, I'm kind of down on it. In fact, it's really kind of a letdown when you look at the last panel and it's supposed to be this gathering and these great villains that Guy's going to have to take on in these last couple of issues. and It's Guy's clone, Dementor, Sledge, and the goofy cyber pirate Guy. It's sad that Guy was saddled with such such a sort of lame, list of villains when honestly the stories that have been told with him he deserves better I'm sorry he just got settled with this this just wasn't one of my favorite books and I think the artwork kind of brought it down again I can't say anything really bad about Will Smith the storytelling was good but the artwork just kind of missed for me so not the best Guy Gardner book and unfortunately we're sort of come into a close in it. Uh, it makes me sad. But hopefully I can get over my depression with the wonderful look at some of the ads in the books, and maybe that'll cheer me up. Who knows? Well, I can say the front and inside cover definitely cheers me up because it's a it's an uncolored image of the Jack Knight Starman, and it's a starman by James Robinson, Tony Harris, and Wade Von Graubagger. And uh, it's a neat little image of the very... Circular, spectacled uh, Jack Knight with the uh, star staff, whatever you call it, with the sort of weird, mystical, circular sundial thing behind him. It's a neat look, and unfortunately, I haven't gotten around to reading all the Starman stuff, but what I have read of it was really good. And I've got to see, I'm certain it's all collected in absolutes or trades, and I'll see if I can go pick those up, but uh, Starman with uh, Jack Knight's just starting out. Great storyline. Few more pages in, we get the Simon and Kirby The Legend books with Fighting American and Boy's Ranch. We've done that before. Lots of money for a few comics, but I guess they are signed by Simon, so there you go. And again, the uh, Batman and or not Batman and Robin, <sighs> that'd be horrible. The Batman Forever pay per view ad still here, but this time, uh, if you order Batman Forever on pay per view you could save up to $40 on admission to Six Flags theme park. So uh, Six Flags is one of the theme parks that it's run by Warner Brothers because they've got licenses to all the Looney Tunes characters. So they've also got licenses to the superhero characters, at least the Daisy superhero characters. It, when we used to go to Six Flags down here in Texas or in Dallas, actually it's Arlington, but they Six Flags over Texas, they used to have parades that had all the... Looney Tunes characters, Bugs Bunny and all that. And then they had stuff with all the DC characters, Batman and Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, stuff like that. Unfortunately, I never saw a Superman character at Six Flags. I don't know whether they just couldn't have him out there because of licensing things with the Schusters, but or the Seagulls. But don't remember seeing a Superman character. Could be that Superman is so iconic and, you know, just throwing someone in a costume trying to make him pass off as Superman would have been kind of difficult to do. Then the next ad, ad is a house ad for Artemis Requiem, which I guess is Artemis trying to prove herself after losing the whole Wonder Woman bit as being a hero. And oddly enough, it's probably one of the earlier uh, jobs from boobs and butts artists, Mr. Ed Ben is. So there you go. You get plenty of boobs and butts in this one. Is Artemis is wearing a, a ridiculously high cropped one piece swimsuit thing let's just say artemis shaves very carefully you know what i mean then the next page is a couple of house ads for Catwoman, the cat file okay and i think this is uh it's not ed Benes, but it's jim ballant art so more boobs and butts uh and then we get Batman Superman Alternate Histories which is a look in the strange possible yesterdays of the Dark Knight and the Man of Steel featuring uh, some of DC's top creative talent unfortunately they don't list any of the top creative talent but we'll take their word for it then again we get a page ad for the Comic Buyer's Guide 1996 Fan Awards I think we went over that before but new to the book is an ad another house ad for Power of Shazam and this is kind of neat because it's it's portrayed as a sort of cereal box, and on the side, it's got information, calories, and fat, and cholesterol, and carbs, and all that. But on the front, it's got the Power of Shazam logo, with Shazam being, or I'm sorry, the Captain Marvel looks like he's being drowned by a flood of, and looks like Mister Minds. There are a bunch of little worms that, yeah, I think it's a it's a, a group of Mister Minds there. That's pretty creepy, yeah. And he's got some weird thing around his neck as well. So uh, it's Power of Shazam uh, written by uh, Geriard Way, Krauss, and Manly. So that's a neat sort of advertisement. Uh, giving it the cereal box it gives it that sort of feeling of getting up on Saturday mornings and grabbing yourself a bowl of cereal and going to watch some Shazam and Isis. Especially Isis. That was fun. Then the subscription page, again, is the subscribe to two or more titles and you get the free five-minute phone card with Superboy, Flash, and Green Lantern on it. And I don't understand why this was an incentive for people. Yeah. Do you really need a five-minute phone card? Uh, whatever. The DC Direct page uh, is advertising the uh, next annual that's coming up, which was the Legends of the Dead Earth annual, so we'll be covering that soon on the show. Uh, luckily, Guy Gardner does have a second annual, even though his book was canceled before the annual came out, so at least he got two annuals, so there you go. The back inside cover is a kind of neat one, though. It's, uh, it had the statement, the world is simple, there's good, there's evil, and there's Batman black and white, and this was, uh, I guess, four-issue miniseries that had 20 stories done by some really great creators, like, uh, I'll just go ahead and list them all. We've got Michael Allred, Simon Bisley, Brian Boland, Howard Chaykin, Richard Corbin, Chuck Dixon, Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman writing Batman. Hmm. Archie Goodwin, Andrew Helfer, Klaus Jansen, uh, Mike Kaluta, Terry Christensen, Joe Kubert, Jim Lee. I've never heard of this guy. Libra Torrey. No idea. Ted McKeever. Frank Miller, always. And I think some of the artwork uh, that they have for this is Frank Miller. Jose Munoz. Kevin Nolan, Denny O'Neill, Katsura Otomo, no idea, P. Craig Russell, Bill Sinkevitz, Walter Simon, Jan Strand, Bruce Tim, Alex Toth, Matt Wagner, Kent Williams, Barry Windsor Smith, and George Zaffino. So, a lot of good talent on this book. Uh, I would pretty assume I would pretty much assume that Batman Black and White, with stories and artwork from these people, would be just an awesome read. So, who knows? But the back outside cover is glorious. It's one of these one of these rare computer games that was very set in its own time period. It's for Wing Commander 4, The Price of Freedom. And essentially, the Wing Commander game was a space combat simulator where you flew a different types of spacecraft and shot down alien ships. And it was a joystick-based one, and you allocated uh, energy to weapons and energy to... Thrusters and stuff like that, the game itself was pretty good graphics and was relatively fun. But what made this game sort of interesting or innovative was the fact that it had live action cutscenes with some pretty big name actors. One of them that we see here on the uh on the advertisement is Malcolm McDowell, who plays I think the commander of the uh squadron and it also has on the uh cover of the get or the artwork for the game. It's got Mark Hamill as one of the characters in there. Now you don't play as those characters, but there are cutscenes interspersed throughout the, all the uh, game where you uh, see them acting out. So it gave it a sort of cinematic type feel to this game, and it was one of those sort of games like this, and I think Wing Commander Three, and eventually into Mist, where they had big name actors playing in these roles to sort of make the games feel more realistic. And with the advent of now better graphics and better graphic systems, the whole full motion video thing has kind of gone by the wayside, and now you're very unlikely to see a full motion video in any modern video game. But for the time, this was pretty innovative and pretty cool, and to have what people would consider big-name actors like Malcolm McDowell and Mark Hamill in a video game was pretty amazing at the time. But that does it for ads. Again, like last time, the only book that's been reprinted in this show has been the Green Lantern one, which was reprinted in Baptism of Fire trade paperback, which is one of those out-of-print 90s comics or trade paperbacks that you'd probably be best off going to your local comic book shop and searching down the back issues. It's sad that the Guy Gardner issue wasn't as fun this time. And it's also sad that we're winding down the Guy Gardner issues. In fact, I think we only have two left. So next time out, we'll be taking a look at the penultimate issue of Guy Gardner Warrior, where he fights with, I guess, his rogues gallery, so to say. And Kyle fights with some people as well. Mostly Donna, but probably some other villains as well. And As we find out what the heck's just going on with the Dark Stars and who's killing them off? It's all leading up to something big, and we'll be back here on Friday to take a look at it, You're on Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by the Two True Freaks podcast network at twotruefreaks.com. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Engel. All images, stories, and music are copyrighted to respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the tendencies of the internet that comic books can be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to know it. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcome. All spam bots are we welcome too. As long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at the brand new Two True Freaks website, located at 2truefreaks.com. There you can find the RSS feed, as well as scans of the covers and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Just One of the Guys podcast, or search for Two True Freaks The New World 2, and you can subscribe to either the show or Two True Freaks there. You can also search me on Facebook, and now you can actually find me there, as it was a requirement of my new Devoncicor contract, but it still doesn't mean that I'll be joining your little Mafia Wars group anytime soon. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys. a The opening music for today's show was Blur with the song Girls and Boys off their album Park Life. As usual, if you'd like to get this song or get the album itself, there's a myriad number of places you could go to get them. The best place to go, however, is to Amazon.com, and the best way to get to Amazon.com is to go to the link at 2TrueFreaks.com. When you go to 2TrueFreaks.com, look at the top of the page, and over on the left-hand side, you'll see a banner for Amazon.com. Click that banner and you'll be taken to Amazon, where you can go buy the album by Blur, download the MP3, or buy the CD. And anytime you go to Amazon.com through the link at 2TrueFreaks.com, a small amount of your purchase price will go back to help the 2 True Freaks website. It doesn't cost you any extra, and it helps a lot in making sure that fine, quality De Bonzicore podcasts stay on the air. So anytime you want to do some shopping at Amazon.com, make sure you go first to two true